Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Today, I want you to put your hands together and welcome with me Dr. Samuel Huddleston as he comes and shares the word this morning. Please be seated. You know, out of all the ministers that he has mentioned, that I am privileged to oversee in Northern California, Nevada, uh, the Assemblies of God, he's the only one that has ever honored my father. He didn't just honor my dad, but I told some siblings and cousins and other relatives to come that Sunday. My dad didn't know what was going on, and about 30 members of our family showed up. He, gave, he honored my dad, gave my dad some money, gave me some money, and then paid for all of us to go out and have lunch. If I had told them, if I had told my siblings where I was coming this morning, they'd be here today. It's amazing what they'll do for a free lunch. This, this is a good man. Sometimes when I think about him, it touches me deeply. In this life, in this life, as a leader, you don't have a lot of people you can just, they'll just sit there in a meeting for three days on a front row and watch your life go through turmoil. But he did. And when I close my eyes, I can still visualize him sitting right down here on the right, just looking at me. Lunch break, he'd go tap, he'd come back coffee break. He just sat there for three days. And I really appreciate that. I really, I really do. I call him a thief or he have to tell you what, why, but anyway, he's a thief. <laughs> yeah, y'all need to ask him. I'm telling you. <laughs> for the sake of the nation. For the sake of the nation. I truly am a blessed man. You, you have no idea. Uh, sometimes I wake up in the morning and just pinch myself and just say, somebody must be cheated out on life because I get to live two, I'm living two people's lives. The blessings of God is just, just so rich. I, last night our son, our oldest child turned 50 and uh, all the grandbabies were there and uh, um, they missed some Sunday school classes. Because the music was popping and my little granddaughters was up there. Boy, they was just. I looked at their grandmother and said, what did you do to my granddaughters? I'm really blessed. So this morning, Lord, in your presence, I say thank you. Even just seeing the my friend Samuel's nephew doing the announcements. It just, Lord, it pays to live a righteous life. It gets passed down. And so I just simply pray that you'd bless these few moments we get to spend together. Would you speak to hearts? Would you change them for eternity's sake? This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if anybody, anyone would know the pain of leading a divided nation, it'd be David, the second king of uh, Israel. You can read about the whole scenario that I'm going to talk about this morning in 2 Kings chapter 15 through 19. And we can read the story of how a nation was divided. Absalom was the son of King David, and he conspires. I mean, he was a conniving spoiled brat, but he conspired in a way that most sons never would to lead a rebellion and steal his father's kingdom. And instead of fighting his son, his beloved son, David loved Absalom, he leaves the nation with a small group of people, thereby Absalom now is in charge of the nation. So David and those that are with him, they're on the run, And as they're on the run, we read 
these verses found in 2 Samuel chapter 17. It says, when David came to Mahanaim, Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah. When you read the Bible, this is what you'll understand real quick. It's important who you're related to. No, I'm serious. It's important. When my grandfather died, my grandpa was one of the first African-Americans. He was a deputy sheriff. They had a different title back then uh, in Merced County. When I went to his funeral, when they brought me from uh, the state-paid vacation I was on to my grandfather's funeral, <laughs> I stood over his casket and I said these words. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make your name good again. Because in that moment, looking down at him and realizing he came from Muskogee, Oklahoma, during the Dust Bowl, which some of you young people won't even understand. You can, you can Google it. Trust me. It's just there. And then how hard he worked. He became a labor contractor. He built a good name. And then he has this grandson that takes it upon himself to just do whatever he wants. If you were to ask my grandchildren today, what's one of the most important things of your grandfather? This is what they would say. His name. My, eight, my 10-year-old twins, when I walk them to school, I'll hug them, I'll give them a kiss, I tell them, you can get big as a house, but you will always kiss your grandpapa on the cheek. Do you understand? <laughs> yes, papa, okay. Just so we, we, I also used to help them put on their, their little pull-ups in their socks, and I said, you know why I'm doing that? No, papa, why? Because one day you're going to help me with my pull-ups. <laughs> okay, papa, we're going to help you with your pull-ups. <laughs> But the name, and I believe God spoke to me years ago and said, if you will honor my name, I'll honor yours. And this past December, the governor of, of our state, uh, he gave me a full unconditional pardon. When I got this pardon, I told my wife, I said, I need to go to Merced. She said, why? I said, I need to go stand over my grandfather's grave. So we drive to Merced, and I stand over my grandfather's grave is here. My grandmama's grave is here. And uh, the day of his burial, I went to the funeral, but then they, for, for some reason, wouldn't allow me to go to the, to the burial. So I'm out there, and I'd been there before, but I'm standing over my grandfather's grave. And I remember standing there. This is just a few months ago. I look up in heaven, and I go, we good now? Are we good? I said, the governor of this state has given you back your good name. And when I got back in the car, I told my wife, I felt this impression from my uh, Grandpa, that he was saying something like, son, we always been good. But you needed to keep your word to me. Look where you're at right now. Look what you're doing because you were determined to keep a promise that you made to a dead man. I said, thank you, Daddy Bryce. So it has all these lists of people and who they're related to. Don't forget, you need to teach your children, your grandchildren, how important your name is how hard somebody worked for you to have a good name. And if your family doesn't have a good name, then why don't you try to make it one? Man, man that was, I'm going to give myself an offering. That was good. That was, where's my wallet at? My God. Woo. Let me say that again. If your family don't have a good name, you make it a good name. But it says here, that Rabbah of the Ammonites, Makur, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Let's pause right here for, for a few minutes. Lodabar, the Bible teaches, was a, was a town of forgotten people. Just forgotten people. Even the grandson of King Saul, the first king of Israel, his grandson was Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth was the son of David's good friend, Jonathan. And when Jonathan and David, as they're forging their relationship, Jonathan knew that David was going to be the king. And David made a promise to Jonathan. He said, I'll take care of your family. I won't do you. Because when a king would come in, a new king, he just would wipe out the old king's family. Just kill everybody. Therefore, nobody would be a threat to him. And one day David says, is there anyone related to Jonathan and Saul that I can honor? See, that I can honor. And they said, yeah, he's got a son. He's... He's crippled in both feet because when things were happening here, his nurse picked him up and went to run with him, and she fell on him, and both of his legs were broke. So he's crippled in both feet. Where's he living? Oh, he's living down in Lod Lodabar. I, I thought that place was desolate, and, and, and nobody really lived there. I said, yeah, all, all the rejects, everybody lived there. They got nothing going for him, king. And this grandson of the king is living in Lodabar. 
a place he had he's crippled, he had lost his heritage, and he lived in a place that was desolate. David says, go get him. And they bring Mephibosheth to David, and Mephibosheth is thinking he's going to kill him. And David says, for the sake of your daddy and grandfather, from now on, you no longer live in Lodabar. You live in my house. And every day when you get hungry, and every day when you want to bathe, and every day when you want to, you just call my servants, because my servants are your servants, and they'll take care of you. And every time I read this place, this is what goes through my mind. There's so many people that come to church who love Jesus and are wanting to serve him, but they still live in Lodabar. They've never come to the place where they realize I'm going to make my marriage going to be different from my mom and dad's. I ain't going to be like my mama. I'm not going to be argumentative. I'm not going to, every time my husband do something, I'm not going to be riding him like I got a saddle on his behind. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be abusive. I'm not going to curse. I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to live. See, that's Lodabar. It's just one thing to go to church. It's one thing to, to tie. It's one thing to be involved. It's another thing to live like a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't live like your life has been touched by the living God, you will live like you haven't been. I'm saying on this side. If you don't live like Jesus Christ Almighty has touched your life, whether you are young or old, you will live like, you have, like he hasn't touched your life. He's touched my life. And when people around me, they know somebody has touched my, when I was locked up, I didn't, I didn't tell a lot of people about Jesus. I don't even tell my whole, my relatives about Jesus. You know why? They knew what I was like. And if they don't see a change in my life, there really isn't a change. They knew what I did. Some of them did some of the things I did with me. They know I've been changed. So when somebody needs the preacher and the family, you know who they call? You don't call Ghostbusters. <laughs> They call their cousin. My mama will call her son. My brothers will call and sisters will call. They passed or something. When daddy died, we're sitting in the mortuary. Now, you have to understand, my daddy and I, I, I love my daddy. My daddy stuck by me, just like your pastor said. I wouldn't be who I am or where I am today if my daddy had given up on me. When my daddy died, I told my wife, I'm going to be a better Christian. She said, why do you say that? I said, I got to pray more. She said, what do you mean pray more? I said, you have no idea when I'm going through stuff. I just call daddy. He'd tell me what to do and I just do it. I said, now he's gone. I, I, I got to pray. So we're sitting in the mortuary and I'm sitting here. My siblings are sitting around the table and the, the, the mortician is sitting at the other end. And she says, you know, you guys are going to need a pastor. And my siblings, they say, they pointed me all uh, five, six of them. They said, he's a pastor. And I'm sitting there on the table. And the lady says, he's the pastor? They said, he's the pastor. He's, the, he's our pastor. And in that moment, I realized again the honor that my siblings have bestowed upon me because they've seen a change in my life because I no longer wanted to live in Lodabar. And I believe somebody in this place today, I said it first service, I really believe this. I was going over my notes this morning in the hotel, and I wrote this in. I've not talked about Lodabar before. Any other time I've mentioned this, but Lord, somebody in this place, you love Jesus Christ, but you're still living in Lodabar. Oh, you come to church. You, you really do. You come here. But your family know you don't live. You live in two different worlds. You live in this world on a Sunday morning, but when you leave here, you live in Lodabar. You have not totally surrendered and said, God, I'm going to follow you if it kills me because it will kill you to follow Jesus. I made a decision when I was 19 years old. I have had to say no more times when I wanted to say yes. Yes can come in some very nice packages. But why would I break the hearts of my eight granddaughters? Why would I embarrass the, my grandsons? Why would I give my wife an opportunity to kill me? <laughs> I don't live in Lodabar. I used to. I don't live in Lodabar. I sit at the table with the king. What he, eats, I, what he eats, I eat. What he ride in, I ride in. What he wear, I wear. I sit at the table, of the, and you have that opportunity if you will make a commitment. And I'm telling you, you make that kind of a commitment, it'll revolutionize your entire family. It will revolutionize your entire All it takes is one. 
All it takes is one member of the family. If your family does not have a good name, you make it a good name. You make it. You start telling your grandchildren. When I walked my grandson to school just the other day, I gave him a kiss on the cheek. I said, what are you not going to do today? They look up. We're not going to embarrass your name. I said, why? It's not our name. It's yours. I said, all right, we're good. Go on to school. <laughs> Go on to class. Just so you realize that is not your name. It's loaned to you. And I'll, take, I'll give you your mama's name in a heartbeat. You embarrass my name. <laughs> when David came to Mahanaim, Show me the son of Nahash from Rabbah, the Ammonites, and Mekur, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. The Bible says, and Barzeliah, the Gilead, the Gileadite for Rosalem, he brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said, the people have become exhausted and hungry and thirsty, and they're in the wilderness. David has to make a decision. This is our story. Because there are people all around you and I who are thirsty, exhausted, tired, and hungry, and they're living in their own personal wilderness. And you have the key to bring deliverance to their lives. But you're so busy living this double standard, living in Lodabar life, you can't deliver yourself. The people left in the city, they're suffering. They're bewildered. They don't know whether David is going to come back. They don't know whether we should give our allegiance to his son, Absalom, or they don't know. So David has, he finally has been pushed. And I'm telling you, God is going to push some of you in a corner where you're going to have to learn how to fight in the spiritual arena. I'm going to tell you how in a moment. Some of y'all have been blessed beyond your wildest dream. Look at your family member. Go back generations. They ain't been blessed like you, but you've been blessed for a reason. You've been blessed for a reason. David has to fight, so he sends out Joab, uh, Abishai, and Ittai for the sake of the nation. It wasn't long before David's seasoned soldiers, they defeat Absalom, and in the process, David's son is killed. I first saw a divided nation when I was 10 years old, sitting in front of my daddy's black and white television in Livingston, California. But I didn't understand what I was seeing. But God did. I was sitting in front of my father's black and white television, which was symbolic at the time of my whole world, which was black and white. So I'm looking at the television, and my grandmama is sitting on the couch humming. At that time, there were 11 of us that lived in the house, six kids, daddy, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my grandfather, and my great-uncle. I don't remember being crowded, but I do remember there being a lot of love and a lot of good food, because my grandmama could flat out cook. Now, I'm just going to give you this one for free. So when I got married, <laughs> when I worked in Delhi, my wife and I lived in Merced. My grandmother lived in Delhi. So when I would come home sometime, because my grandmother, she, she would help raise her because mama was gone. My grandmama could cook. My grandmama could fry chicken, make you take the bone and just beat yourself all in the head. <laughs> it didn't matter whether it was cold. It didn't matter if it was hot. Even her frozen chicken was good. So I would go by. Here's a lesson, men. Here's a lesson. I go by there, I eat at my grandmama's house. I only did it once, though. I'm a, I'm a quick learn. And I went home. My wife had food on the table. She says, you ready to eat? I said, oh, no, no, I just dropped by my grandmother's house and ate on the way home. I was just making, you know, I'm innocent. I, you know, I want to let my wife know why I'm not hungry. I come home the next day. Ain't no food on the table. I said, what, we're not going to eat dinner? She said, oh, no, no, I just thought you stopped by your grandmama's house again. So it wasn't like I quit stopping, I just quit telling, you understand? <laughs> so I told my sons, boys, y'all grow up, you're getting married, remember this phrase from your daddy, tell some, keep some. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, my grandmama's humming, and I'm watching this craziness on TV. It was May in 1963, and the place was Kelly Ingram Park in Birmingham, Alabama, some 2,200 miles from where I lived and in the security of my daddy's living room. Children had become part of the Civil Rights March and had gathered in this park at Bull Connors, a commissioner of public safety, which I always thought is somewhat in a, the commissioner of public safety, and he got bulldogs and water hoses and everything else going crazy. He tells the Birmingham Fire Department to release the German Shepherd dogs and the water hoses and to disperse the crowd. The power of those hoses had the force to peel the bark off trees, as you're seeing on the screen behind me. 
My young, sensitive, innocent mind was peeled back as I watched kids my age and all my color running and trying to hide behind trees. Some of them made it, but some did not. I'm 10 years old. I'm looking at the scenes on TV, and I say these words. If I ever have the, the opportunity to show the world that blacks and whites can do something together, I'm going to do it. Now listen, folks. You young people, you ain't too young to start formulating a plan to on, change God. this planet. Come on, God. God spoke to me at 10 years of age. I just didn't know. I didn't have a pastor like Pastor Don who walked in the spirit who I could go to and say, Pastor, I don't know where this is coming from, but this is how I feel, and who could help guide me. And so if going this way was trying to figure out what that voice was saying, I walked this way. I can take you to the spot in Livingston, California, where I was walking on from school in the eighth grade, and I had what I just explained to you. My life was marked in that moment by God, and I didn't even know it. That was my burning bush. I think a lot of you in this room have had those kind of experiences with God, but you've brushed them off. I'm 65 years of age. I've heard a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. I've put a lot of things in my body that shouldn't be in my body, but I have never been able to forget that moment or those words. Never. And God knows I've tried. And years ago, he began to speak to my heart and said, now we're getting ready to do that journey. What journey? Well, what you said you wanted to do. I said, what did I say I wanted to do? <laughs> and he brought that back to me. I said, oh, I didn't say that. Oh, no, no. You ever try to tell God what you didn't say? Tell God. Even the statement itself sounds ridiculous. You're telling God what you didn't say. I saw water hoses and division and snarling German shepherd dogs. I saw people being beaten with clubs. But God saw, God saw my future. This picture's coming up with me and my daddy and President Reagan. See, God, God knows your future. If you will get your life in alignment with God. Folk, listen. He would do, listen, listen, listen. Three weeks ago, I was in, or two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was in Hong Kong. I've wanted to go there for a long time. I heard they have some very good tailors there. I found out that they do. <laughs> went over there to speak for a group of men. I came back, I was home for two days, and I went to, and I don't know, my schedule's not like this. I went to Colorado. Stayed there a few days, came home, was another day and a half, went to Ohio, then went to Springfield, and my body is still trying to figure it out. And sometimes I will get on an airplane, or, or I'm on the executive uh, presbytery of the Assemblies of God, which is 21 of us who are sitting policies and you know, listening to problems and stuff from all the Assemblies of God churches. It's like 13,000 of them in North America and about 37,000 credential ministers. And sometimes I'm sitting at this table going, have these folk forgot I'm an ex-convict? <laughs> How'd I get in this room? How'd I get at this table? And every time I say that, I hear God saying, Grace. Or I get on these airplanes and people, I leave for Fiji in two weeks. And I, I, my wife and I, before we went to Hong Kong, I mean, weeks before, we'd be sitting up, Pastor Dan, and we'd be eating and what have you, and we'd look at each other, and i go, she goes, we're going to Hong Kong. <laughs> we're just two country kids. Wow. I used to ride pigs. We had a horse. That's a sign that you're poor, especially when the neighbors are riding horses, you down there riding pigs. <laughs> and I go, I can't believe God has done all this. Because I've only had one prayer that I can honestly say that's consistent. Here it is. Jesus, don't let me go back to jail again. Everything else has just been, I'm telling you, I wish I had done it at a younger age. I really do. I had so many opportunities. College would have been paid for. Opportunity to try it for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm glad that didn't work out. But anyhow, I had that opportunity there. And, and I would say something about the Raiders, but your pastor's here. So, you know, in honor of the pastor, you know. <laughs> If you just give your, if you give your life to Jesus, well, let me just tell you this, okay? I would be a, a Raider fan. You know why I'm not? <laughs> I'm gonna turn this way. <laughs> you have to be in the witness protection program to be on the team. So you don't, you all know who's playing on that team. They all in the witness protection. <laughs> okay, back to the word of the Lord. 
I'm glad you gave. Didn't you give me a check for I got from earlier this morning? <laughs> He's sitting there going, I need to get it back. I need to get it. <laughs> As a rebellious teenager, I was involved in gangs. I grew up, that little town I grew up in, I'm going to tell you something. I grew up, I didn't grow around Hispanics. I grew, I grew up around Mexicans because that's what they told me. And everything they taught me. <laughs> they taught me how to drink. They taught me how to use knives, how to use, steal cars. And, and, uh, and all the words they taught me, I didn't know what they were. I mean, I was just learning languages, you know. I thought we was, teach, I was learning some pretty gnarly stuff, okay, pretty bad stuff. But I could say it with the best of them. It's a vato! Orale, amigo! And the other stuff, I had to just let it go. You know what paid off? God knew where I was going. See, when I got locked up, them guys was afraid of the Hispanics. And I was hanging out with them. Why? Because I grew up with them. They was my partners. They, they liked me. I liked them. I knew how to not disrespect them and what God knew. This boy is going over here, so I'm going to bring these crazy, these other guys in his life who are just as crazy, but not as crazy as him. And when he gets over here to this other season of his life, these guys going to look out for him. Because he don't know where he's going. But these guys, yeah, and they did. And then some of them started getting saved. But when I got saved, my life went from black and white to technicolor. Now all of a sudden, I care about all people groups. The white pastor used to come to the prison and taught us about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and he became my spiritual dad and this picture that's coming up is a picture of him praying over my grandchildren which were his spiritual great-grandchildren. I became concerned about all the people groups representing America. Some of the very guys I physically fought in Gangs, they found Jesus too. And now we still fought, but we fought on our knees because the spirit of Jesus taught us if we were surrendered to him, we would experience how the blood of Jesus Christ and its power would help us see each other for who we were, not the color of our skin. I learned that there are some people that Everybody experiences prejudice. See, I've never, I've never been white. I know that surprises you, but I've never been white. <laughs> and you can bet I'll probably never be white. So I don't know what it was like when minorities made me feel bad as a white person. But I'm telling you something. This thing goes all kind of ways. And here's the problem. We don't understand who the real enemy is. It ain't black, it ain't white, it ain't Samoan, it ain't Tongan, it ain't Philip. It's, not, it's none of that. In our world, now at 65 years of age, I see that our nation is still at war with itself. When you sow division, your harvest is devastation. What are you doing as a follower of Jesus to bring the peace of Jesus to a lost, dying, angry, much divided nation? People are looking for a reason to explode. Racial tension is high and spiritual blindness and sexual biases and political division, religious differences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are you doing to be a person of change in our world today? Are you at least fighting on your knees in prayer? And through the years, I keep asking God, God, what can I do? Every now, what can I do? What can I do? Because I, I don't want to leave my grandkids this, the craziness that's going on. I want to do my part to prepare them for whatever the world's going to be like when I'm gone. And two incidents happened recently, earlier this year, that taught me how spiritual this battle we're in. This is a spiritual battle. Listen to me. It ain't got nothing to do with red states, blue states, green states, any other kind. It's got nothing to do with being a Republican, a Democrat, sipping tea, or independent. The Bible says there are spiritual forces in high places. I'm telling you. If you ever get locked into that, it'll revolutionize, your, it'll revolutionize your family. Them arguments you keep having with your wife or with your husband ain't got nothing to do with them. There's a manipulator of all manipulators. Yeah. You want to talk about a Mac Daddy? When he left heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. You and I are no match for the devil. He will manipulate you. Next thing you know, you leave your husband. Your husband leaves you. Kids are going ballistic and crazy. And nobody is standing in the gap saying, stop. 
This ain't happening in my house. This will not happen in my house. Amen. Fasting and praying and seeking the heart of God and saying, it ain't the kid. It ain't the kid. And then they'll, they'll do something stupid and we have the nerve to ask, why did you do that? And then they say, well, I don't know. And, you, and then we, wanna, we literally want to have a discussion with a teenager that says, I don't know. And you know what? They don't know. They really don't know. They're, they're totally unaware of the manipulative power of the devil. And he will manipulate your kids, my kids, everybody else's kids. And if you get caught up in that world, you're in a world of trouble. When my children were small, we'd hold hands in a circle, me and Linda and our three children, and I would tell them, We'd be praying. I said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when you get to be a teenager. The devil going to tell you, your mom and dad don't like, and he, they don't like your music. So let me tell you before he tells you, I won't. No, I ain't going to like it. Well, daddy, you don't know what it's going to be like. I'm telling you in advance, I ain't going to like it. I said, but as long as we hold hands, the devil will never be able to divide our family. I said, somebody, and I would let go of my hand. Like, I said, somebody's got to let go to let the devil in. If it's a single parent home, somebody still got to let go. He can't come in without an invitation. So then they got to be teenagers. We'd be riding down the road, and I could handle a little bit of it, but after about the third one, I said, can we change the channel? Daddy, that's a good, what did I tell you? See, I prepared them. See, we don't prepare our children. You, you, as pretty and as good looking as some of the babies are, we just go, and the devil's sitting back. I already know the kind of girl that, that's going to get that boy right there. Look at them dimples in that boy's cheek. Ooh, wee! I got some girls set up for him already. They're going to walk up to him and offer him a salad, and he ain't going to be able to say no because daddy hadn't told him what the family saying is. Oh, you ain't listening to me. You got to prepare your children to fight in the spiritual arena. Or when they get caught up in it, don't get mad at no one but yourself. Yeah. And my, my, my son got in a wreck. His pictures, I mean, he had a surgery. This, this is a picture of my family. This is my entire family. All 13 of our grandkids, our children, their spouses. Having 13 grandkids simply means I'm always broke. And they would be going to school different places. I'd call my friend, hey, give my grandbaby some money, I'll send it to you. Hey, give my grandbaby some money, I'll send it to you. And one of them would say, Papa, you don't have to do that. What do you mean? You just need a cash app. What's a cash app? <laughs> so we sitting at Starbucks, and she does something to my phone, and I said, what did you do? She goes, I just downed the cash app, and I sent myself $25. I said, what do you mean you sent yours? How did you do that? <laughs> That's a dumb question to let her hold your phone. How did you do that? Show me how you did that. I said, what did you just do? I sent myself another $25. <laughs> but my oldest son, Royce, is sitting on my left, came down with the Moya Moya disease. And it's a, de a disease that constricts the arteries of the brain and blood can't get through and you end up having strokes and seizures and all kinds of stuff. Five hours they had my boy's head open. Next picture is a picture of my oldest grandchild coming on from college. Went to sleep behind the wheel and flipped the car over. I woke up the next morning in my time of prayer thinking about where I was and where I could have been. And all I could do was cry. And then I got up and I said, oh, I got this, Satan. I thought we was on cruise control. So, so you have reminded me there is never a place of cruise control. So every day, 4.13, my alarm goes off. I, can, I was in a meeting last week in Springfield, Missouri with all these mucky mucks and my alarm went off as buzzes. And I just sat there like this, put my hand over my mouth, and mentioned every one of my grandchildren and their parents, 413. They know what I'm doing at 413. I've told them what I'm doing at 413. But then there's another alarm that goes off at 150. Most people don't believe this. We are one state, one nation with 50 states. I've had some friends say, well, he ain't my president. I ask him where you live. <laughs> the Bible doesn't ask me, do I like him? I love telling some of my white friends, oh, this is, this is great. I said, y'all liked it when all the, all, we was all eating ice cream that was vanilla, but all of a sudden chocolate came in. <laughs> y'all don't like chocolate ice cream. Folk didn't think we had a president want to pray for him. But all of a sudden now, we back to vanilla wafers again and everybody all it. God never asked, do you like the president? Never ask, do you like your senator? Never ask. But when you and I stand before holy God, he is going to say this, did you pray for him? Wow. Wow. And, and listen, I'm pretty astute of what's going on in our society right now. I, God knows I am. 
And when something bothers me, I write a letter to some people who can do something about it. They may not, but they can. I am not going to spend my time talking to you about my woes or, or my political opinions. And all. What's, what, you, what you going to do? Unless you know somebody who knows somebody who can get to somebody who can. Otherwise, I'm not going to waste my time. So I used to pray, Lord, I pray for the president, I pray for his beautiful wife, I pray for the vice president, I pray for his wife. And one day I heard my prayer. How come the president had a beautiful wife and the vice president just had a wife? <laughs> so then I started praying like this. Lord, I pray for the president, vice president, I pray for the entire cabinet, I pray for the spouses, children, grandchildren, I lift them all up to you. You know who's ugly, you know who's pretty. I just lift them all up to you. Here you go, here you go. Because God one day, he's not going to say, well, Sam, uh, were you an independent? Were you a Tea Party member? How about, were you a Republican? Were you a Democrat? He's not going to answer that. I like my senator, my congresspeople, local judge, city councilman. He's not going to ask me, hey, did you like the fact that you were a person of color? Or did you like the fact that you were male? Did you like the fact that, look at all the education. I, he's not going to ask me any of those questions. But according to the Bible, he's going to say, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, I'll save you. Want to please God? Pray for your leaders. Amen. And you know what? Check this out. I like being a Pentecostal right now. Let me tell you why. I pray in tongues. Let me tell you why I pray in tongues. I used to pray for some people in English, and by the time I got done, I was mad all over again. <laughs> so now... I just pray in tongues. But when I get done, I feel better. I done got it all out, and I'm sure that God told angels, this is one of them prayers we ain't even going to pay attention to. Because he ain't talking to me and you and nobody else up here. See, some believers, they use the media, email, personal influence, the chitter-chatter and all the rest. It's like the world is on fire, and the best that some believers could do is bring five-gallon buckets of gasoline. Look at what they're saying online. They really think they're important. If you were to look at anything I put online, this is what you're going to see. Any of y'all follow me on? Anyone? Yeah. What do you see on, on my Facebook? I'm a blessed man, and you see pictures of me, my family, walking my grandkids to school, me and my other pigeon-toed granddaughter looking at our feet together. I, I, po I posted one time, Halloween came around, I went down and got a pedicure and had my, my toes painted orange and black. And, and I went to them, I said, what y'all think about my, <laughs> my, my pedicure? Because I, I do that with my grandkids. Folks, it's all about memories. If you ain't making memories for when you are no longer here on this planet, shame on you, yeah. especially if you're a grandparent. I got them all on one thing on, on, on my phone, and sometimes I'll send them all. Like yesterday, I sent them all a picture. I stay in communication with my grandchildren. And then they'll start texting me, and sometimes I'll extrapolate one of their names, put it over here, and I'll send a special message to them, like the sister who prayed for me this morning, Pastor Cat. I'll say, you know, I was praying for you, and God said such and such. And then they'll say something like, Papa, how did you know? Because I was a teenager. <laughs> hey, all that spiritual I was a teenager because I'm making memories so when grandpa's gone they're going to remember me they are going to remember their grandfather the most money I ever spent I took them all on a seven day Mexican Riviera cruise we had a wonderful time I was broke than broke could be but we had a wonderful time <laughs> And before they got off the ship, Papa, when are we going to do this again? I said, oh, y'all you, you, think your parents paid for this. Uh, and you know what? Nobody could go when we first planned it. Nobody, my, nobody could go. And then I simply said these words, you know, your, Nani and I, your mother and I are going to pay for it. Well, lo and behold, you'd be amazed at the, at the miracles. Just miracles, miracles. <laughs> Everybody could get time off their job. Kids could get out of school. Even the dog could go. Everybody could go. Memories. I'm challenging you to do spiritual battle for our nation. What's more important, your, your, your point of view, your biases, your political affiliation, your ethnicity, your personal pain? of what, What's more important for our nation? Here's a picture of my great-grandmother coming up. Her name was Mandy, Amanda. We call her Mama Mandy. It's, it's, a, it's the only picture I have. When we grew up, we went to a white Baptist church. And after church, 
People would be hugging like some of you are going to do today. And I never saw a white person hug my Louisiana born and raised great grandmother. And when the white people would try to hug her, she'd just do like this. And of course, we saw it. It was every Sunday. Let me tell you how she blessed every one of her great grandkids. She never once said these words. Y'all kids want to know why I don't hug them white people? Well, let me tell you why I don't hug them crackers. Let me tell you why I don't do this. Let me tell you, let me. She didn't do that. She could have ruined generations of her family by just saying, let me. You know what she said? You want to know what she said? So what I? I don't know. She died without putting her poison on her. And it makes, it angers me beyond words when, when adults put their poison on the next generation. The best you got is to tell them how messed up the world is. You don't have enough sense to keep your mouth closed when you're around the kids. I've had conversations like this. I'll be talking to somebody, and they'll be talking. I'll be sitting there just smiling, but this is what's going on in my mind. This is insane. Who in their right mind could think like that or let them words come out of their mouth? And I go, well, I never thought about that. Thoughts never crossed my mind. Wow, you feel that way about the president. You feel that way about the gender issues. You, wow, that's really interesting. Okay, thanks. And then I walk away. Get where they can't hear me. I go, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But some people can't do that. They feel it is important. Well, let me tell you how I feel. See, this is a sit-up question. Well, how do you feel about such and such? Do you know that my wife don't even know who I vote for? She don't know my political persuasion. You know why? Because I read a story in the Bible where a man said, if y'all get the answer to this riddle, I'll do this. But if you can't get the answer to this riddle, you're going to do this for me. And they couldn't get, figure it out, so they went to his wife-to-be, and she told him. And then next thing you know, he burning down fields and killing people. So if I never tell Linda my political persuasion, I don't ever have to worry about no fields or hurt anybody. My political, it's not, it's, some of you may not have figured this out. When you go to vote, what, what is, you walk into what? And then what do you do? Wow. Wow. Got a curtain. Why is the curtain there? Oh, I mean, you know. Because there ain't nobody business who you vote for. But some folks feel like they just have to. But let me tell you how I feel. Don't nobody want to know how you feel. If you want to give somebody something, give them something they can use, like money. They don't want a piece of your mind. The Bible says, if my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, 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 I, God, will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land if we will pray. The picture of our nation coming up, the next one will be, it'll just say 150. So I'll, I'll leave you with this. I told you I was in Hong Kong a few weeks ago. And, and, and some of you understand this. I don't like eating food in a restaurant with my back to the door. I, I want my back against the wall. Unless I'm sitting with one of my friends who's a police officer. They, they're really good at seeing everything. So I'm in Hong Kong, and sitting at a table early in the morning. A guy walks up to me. He's sitting outside, smoking cigarette, drinking wine. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm underlining stuff. and just I'm having a great time with Jesus. And this guy walks up to me. He's standing right here, the same guy that was outside on the other side of the window, and he's he just standing there, got his wine in his hand. He said, what are you reading? I said, the Bible. He says, Old and New Testament. Now, the older you get, you don't just blurt out answers anymore, because I know if he said Old and New Testament, he's got a problem with one of them books. I just don't know which one. <laughs> I said, I'm reading a little bit of both. He goes, yeah, because that Old Testament is, is really gory. I said, brother, you have no idea how gory the Old Testament is. And he's, it's true. Everybody gets killed in the Old Testament. <laughs> I said, how can I help you, man? He goes, can we just talk about Jesus? I said, huh? He said, I just want to talk about Jesus. And he started talking to me about his views of Jesus. And it's one of those conversations where you're sitting there going, my God. <laughs> where do you get them viewpoints from? But I don't say that. I just sit there smiling. Going, oh, God. How long is he going? God. And then his girlfriend called him upstairs. He showed me the picture of his two babies that he wasn't married to nobody's mama. And then he's got another girl upstairs and, and all the rest. And, 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 and so we started having, I, I don't say nothing that's going to make him get mad or upset because I want to leave something on his brain. I want to leave something in his heart. 
told me what he believed. I said, well, you know what? Can I just tell you something my dad used to say? We done took pictures together. He done kissed me on the cheek. He from Spanish. I said, well, well, brother, brother, hold on. We, we, we don't even know each other that well to do the kissy thing, okay? So <laughs> I'm from another generation. You know, you start all that. I don't do that. So we, and he's hugging me, and he does a face pitch, a selfie to put on Facebook and all the rest. I said, my daddy, when he would be talking to people, and I heard my father say this numerous times, they would say, well, Eddie, I don't believe there's a heaven, there's a hell. It's when you die, they put you in a hole in the ground. And my father would say, I hope you're right. And they said, what do you mean by that? My daddy would say, see, if I, when I die and I stand before God and there is no God, what have I lost? She ain't lost nothing. But if you die and you stand before a holy God and you realize there's a heaven, there's a hell, and you, did, you made the wrong choice while you were living, now it's too late. And daddy would say these words to them. I could see it in my eye. He would look at these guys and say, I can afford to be wrong. You can't. So like I said, I hope you're right. And I tell that to him, and we're done with the conversation. Probably never see him again. But we didn't argue. I could have said, no, 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 hold it, bro. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Look here, let me show you something. In Solomon, it says this. In John, it says this. And all we would have done was argue. Oh, but I put something on his mind. He will never be able to do the monkey with that woman again without thinking about what we talked about. It just messed up his whole weekend. It's messed up. Because now he's going to be thinking about what we talked about. Now, if we had argued, all I'm trying to say is, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Our world is in need of men, women, boys, and girls who can speak peace, who know what they believe. They're not going to be wavered by what they believe. But they're peacemakers. Our world needs peacemakers. Not men and women who are more concerned about being right than they are about letting people see Jesus in their lives. It has been an honor for me to be here. Next week, listen. Next week, the man of God will be back. Y'all going to get out on time. You're going to start on time. Everything going to be on time. And what did y'all expect? You had a black preacher here. What, what did y'all really expect? Okay. <laughs> so y'all know what's going on. But anyhow, I want to pray for you. God has given me this message to take across the nation. I spoke the same words in front of 700 people in Springfield, Missouri. God is looking for men and women. All I'm asking you to do is set your alarm for 150 every day and pray for our nation. And then you figure out a time that works for your family, especially if you're a grandfather. I know you got a cell phone. Set a time that works for you. 4.13 every day my alarm goes off. Because see, no matter where I'm at in the world, pretty soon it's going to be 4.13. And I pray for them. And then I ask them, so what's Papa doing at 4.13? And what does that mean? And they say 4.13. Well, you've got 13 grandbabies. What does the 4 stand for? Uh, well, and you can always tell when you've got religious family members. Well, it's not the Trinity. It's not the Holy Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But they're figuring it out. Now I'm inviting the rest of the family to do that. So our family at 413, no matter where we're at in the world, we're praying for our family. You ought to figure something out that works for you and your family. My friend in Ohio, he figured out that his church address was 613. So now his church is praying. He said, we can't get everybody to come to prayer meeting. But at 613 p.m., everybody praying for our church because our address is 613 something something. You figure out what works for you. Figure it out, please. Please, don't get caught up in all this stuff that's going on. And it doesn't matter what you watch on TV. You're only getting what they want you to know. Get caught up on your knees. You begin to pray, God, there's a battle that's going on up here. I don't know anything about, but God, I'm praying against the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places that I have to kill, steal, and destroy everything that America stands for. God, we need you. No matter who gets in that White House, Lord God, or any other house, God, we need you. We need you. We need you, Jesus. We need you to intervene. We need you to do something, Lord God, on behalf of this great nation that only you can do. 
We need you to undermine the, the underpinnings and the underminings of the, of the evil one, Lord. We need you to interrupt what's going on. We need you to send a spiritual revival. God, I need you to help me to watch what I say. I need you to help me, Lord, not to be like my great-grandmama, to never say anything around my grandchildren, Lord God, that would somehow mess them up. Help me to speak life. My grandmother, my great-grandmama had the opportunity to speak death over me and Buddy and Tony and Murphy, Cynthia, Rana, and Joyce. But she didn't do it, Lord. I'm not sure she knew what, what, that, that she was speaking life, but as I look back now as an adult, she spoke life over us by not speaking death. I pray for those that are in this room this morning, Lord God, that are still living in Lodabar. I pray for those in this room, Lord God, that are blaming the husband or the wife or the kids or the kids blaming the parents for what's really going on in the family and that has nothing to do with the price of tea in China. But there's a real enemy. He's out to destroy families. If he can destroy families, he can destroy communities. If he can destroy communities, he can destroy states. If he can destroy states, he can destroy this nation. If he can destroy this nation, he can destroy the world. So I pray that you'll give us the strength that we need to persevere, to persevere, to persevere. And I pray for that one in this room right now, Lord God, that one, you are calling them by name out of Lodabar. You're giving them an opportunity, Lord God, to sit and to eat at your table and to make a name for that family that doesn't have a good name. Help them to say yes to you, to begin to read and to study your word, even to call Pastor Dan to can we talk or one of the other pastors on staff. And they began to get their life turned around. You did it for me, Lord. You did it for Bryce Allen Huddleston's grandson. You did it for Susanna Huddleston's grandson. You did it for Edward and Maddie's son. I know you'll do it again. So I give you praise and honor and glory. Bless my friend. Lord, this church with the, with the ministry that you have given Pastor Dan and Angie, Lord, this place should be filled up time and time again. He's one of the most caring and the most powerful communicators of the gospel that I know. So I pray that this year, the one that's coming, you will surprise him by your grace. You will fill this place with men and women and boys and girls who want the flavor that he is serving in this room. Do it again, Lord. Encourage the man of God's heart. There are the doors that you've opened for him. Help him, Lord God, to be faithful to you. And I give you praise for this man of God, my dear friend, my brother. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.com.